This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. Really excited to be across from me today is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back. Hey, Paul. How's it going? It's going good. Another week of the college football and NFL season behind us. I I can't believe we are going to turn the page into November already. I feel like we were just doing the first episode of the 2020, you know, rookie report, you know, in terms of the NFL draft report and everything. And now here we are, you know, turning the page into November. A lot to talk about each and every single week. So let's get right into the NFL rookie report for this week. Really only have one quarterback. We've talked a lot on there about the quarterbacks not living up to their potential this year. You know, the guy I keep coming back to though every single week, though, is Matt Corral because he's playing a very different style from what we've seen out of Corral. They've really... They really corralled him in, to so to speak, because he used to be much more of a gunslinger that poor decision-making, poor uh, going through progressions. He just would make bad mistakes. You always saw those glimpses. You always saw that physical talent that he had. But now this year, you see glimpses of that, but you see a guy who's playing much more in control. This week, they beat LSU, 18 of 23, 183 yards passing, one touchdown, also scored a touchdown with his legs. And we've just seen all year him just checking off boxes, playing within himself, but also knowing when he kind of has got to let it go a little bit. And I think that's going to excite NFL teams the most. And I think he's now on the trajectory to be the top quarterback in the class. Maybe Malik Willis is in the mix too. Uh, but I, I think that's where we kind of are now with this quarterback class. Jeff, any thoughts on on Corral before I kind of go to the skill players a little bit? Because there's a couple skill players that kind of reemerged this week after a couple quiet weeks. But a- anything about Corral? I like how Corral's really playing himself into one of these top spots. Um, you know, I think there's a couple directions you can go. You know, whether you're whether you want more of a polished pocket passer, but what we've seen is the the NFL tends to value these more athletic dynamic traits lately. And, um, you know, that that's maybe why Malik Willis is a decent wild card, but uh, it's not that Matt Corral lacks that much of that either. So I, I think with what we're seeing here um, is we, we could really see continued play like this, vault him into, you know, maybe even a top five or top 10 consideration, which, you know, last week, you know, as we were talking about this and I was thinking about it, I don't know that any of these quarterbacks were really that much better than any of the five from last year's class. And I was wondering if any of these quarterbacks would actually go in the top 10 or if we'd see sort of a more down year for the position. And that might be an interesting question to shoot back to you. How many do you see maybe going in the top 10, or do you think we could see zero? I'd be surprised only because I feel like there will be one or two teams that kind of fall for the top guys, and whether it's a trade up to solidify it, 
or a team in the top 10. I think where it really gets interesting is we're already on the fast track of knowing who's going to be some of these teams inside the top 10, right? Giants are going to be there. I'm not sure they're going to they're going to have a higher grade on Matt Corral or Malik Willis of what they think about Daniel Jones in-house. Now, that might be a new GM's decision to, to determine, but he might want to kind of assess Daniel Jones for himself because these guys might not be guys that, you know, they're totally sold on. The Eagles with all their first-round picks, right? And, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. What are they going to do? Are they going to be in the market to try to upgrade off of Jalen Hurts? Are they going to be in the, the Sean Watson sweepstakes? Or are they going to fall in love with one of these quarterbacks? Not sure. The Jets aren't going to move on from Zach Wilson after one year. So they're going to be in the mix. The Lions are going to be in the mix, but they're going to be right at the tippy top. Are, are, are they going to pass up like a blue chip edge rusher or a blue chip offensive lineman and, and push for one of these quarterbacks that might not be ready to play with how weak that team is? Not really sure, right? And then, you know, you go through it. The Bears might be there by the time this is all said and done. I know they won three games early, but they're only going to be favored one more time the rest of the year, I think. It's probably against the Lions at some point later in the year. They're not going to move on from Justin Fields, I would don't, I would not think, even though they're going to have a new regime in there. The Jaguars are going to be in there. They're going to have Trevor Lawrence. They're not thinking quarterback. So you start going through, and – Maybe it is a scenario where no, where none of them go top 10. Is it a scenario where guys go in the teens or or playoff teams draft there, maybe the heir apparent? You know, I, I would keep an eye on certain teams. Like, I think Sean Payton's going to have an itchy trigger finger to get himself a new quarterback. So even if they're picking the middle of the pack, I could see the Saints making a bold move to go up and get whoever they want. Kind of like the Niners did this year, right? Niners were picking there in the low teens. They started their guy they wanted. They went and got him. I don't think they're going to have to do what the Niners did and come all the way up to three. But I could see the Saints being somewhere in that 14 to 18 range, and maybe they go into the six to nine range or something like that. So I think I think there's certain teams. But I think, I think it's an interesting scenario because I think Corral and Willis have a chance, but I'm not sure. I, I, think, I think it's very to be determined. Unlike last year at this time, we knew Trevor was going top 10. We knew Justin Fields was going top 10. We didn't know Mac Jones was yet. We knew Trey Lance had a legitimate shot to be in there. And by now, the crescendo was building that we knew Zach Wilson was probably going to be a top 10 pick or at least a top 15 pick by, by November last year. So at this time last year, we had basically four lockdown top 10 picks. And we knew Mac Jones was on the peripheral more like we thought early second, some late round one rumblings, and that's kind of where we stood 365 days ago. This year, very much up in the air. So I think it's going to be something to really follow closely. It's going to be really interesting what the NFL thinks of it in terms of what they have in their building, and do they want to punt it off another year? Do they want to go the free agent route if, if there's some guys available? Obviously, somebody's going to go after Aaron Rodgers in the trade front. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. So Yeah, I think – Last year, not only did we have the prospects, but we had the landing spots for them lined up. And you knew that some of these teams were going to come in and get, you know, and go. You knew the 49ers were in the market and going to go for it. Now, I think you had a lot of teams. I, certainly, there might be some new front offices getting an itchy trigger finger to move on, but none of these prospects for this year, I, you know, I'd say are ready just to go straight into the NFL and, you know, take on a day one starter. Like I think 
Malik Willis will need to, you know, take some time to, you you just have to be a little bit more patient. So are you going to just start over and start your patience over? Or are you going to be patient with Tua or patient with Jalen Hurts? And I, I just see less spots and the free agent market is actually going to be more robust this year as well as teams like the 49ers, teams like the Packers, you know, move on from their veteran quarterbacks and those might find a new landing spot like Denver, where we would typically slate a pick. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to kind of see, because I do think you're right. There's going to be more quarterbacks available on the free agent market. There's going to be some trade discussions, you know, we got Watson, we got Rogers. So there's a lot of dominoes that are in play and those dominoes could then force teams to not go quarterback early and then therefore pushing some guys down. So I, I do think it's going to be interesting to follow closely. If we take this to the skill players, I kind of call this the the reemergence week of some significant running backs that we've been talking about since summer. Jerry Ely bounces back, 12 carries, 97 yards, and a touchdown, showing that explosiveness, that game-breaking ability that, that Matt and I really were intrigued by. Um, Keontae Ingram, the transfer from Texas to USC against Notre Dame, 138 yards and one touchdowns. He was a guy who I thought could be a round four, round five guy and maybe work his way when before the year started, even into the round three mix. I don't think that's in play right now. Kyron Williams at a Notre Dame, 138 yards and two touchdowns. So he bounced back. And then every single week, Brian Robinson, he's the Alabama version of Kennedy Brooks at Oklahoma. So all he does is produce, all he does is score touchdowns, all he does is deliver. So another big week out of Brian Robinson, 167 yards and three touchdowns. On the receiving side of things, the Alabama guys just continue. I think when all said and done, these guys both have a chance to be top 40, top 50 picks. Jamison Williams, six catches, 123 yards. John Mechie, 11 catches, 121 yards and two touchdowns. And then Drake London, every time, I watch USC. Every time I look at the box score, this guy always seems like he's got double-digit catches. It's truly remarkable. 15 for 171 this week. I think he's on the fast track of being around one pick. And then the only tight end, the top tight end in the class, especially since Jaheel Billingsley has been MIA most of the year, uh, Jalen Weidemeyer, four catches, 75 yards, and two touchdowns. I don't think he's around one guy. I think he's going to be more of a round two type tight end. Still the top tight end in the class, probably, but I think he's more of a, a round two guy. I don't think he's on the level of where Hawkinson went or the athlete that Fant was or obviously not in the same stratosphere as Kyle Pitts. So is it possible he goes late round one? No, but I think he's more of a round two guy. So, Jeff, any thoughts there? You kind of go anywhere you want. The running backs I brought up, the receivers, the tight end, anybody you want to hit on there? Well, it's nice to see guys that we were really high on going into the year. Ely and and Kyron Williams, you know, come out with some big games this week. Like we said, we've been waiting for something like this, and it's taken a few months now through the season for us to kind of start seeing it. And and they have they've popped up again a few times week to week, just nothing consistent. So what's really going to be intriguing to me is does this sort of catapult their them into a more focal point of their teams to going forward you know, do we see these big games pile up back to back? Um, because that, that to me will then start indicating their stock on the rise rather than what we've talked about last week. You know, are they kind of just outside of the top 100? 
the big question for this week for me is Drake London. So, you know, we've, we've talked a lot. You, you, you mentioned the Alabama guys, right? A lot, a lot of excitement there. And we've, we've talked about these Ohio state wide receivers constantly because they have an immense amount of talent. And so far they've been the top of most people's boards is Drake London challenging for that number one spot? Is he already there for you? And if not, what does he have to do to get there? Because what he's stating with his play this year, I, I don't think he can do anything else. So he's not there yet for me. The Ohio State guys are still 1-2, but I think he's now made the push to be in that 3-4 mix. Traylon Burks, Drake London, the Alabama guys. I mean, it's a, it's a really strong class. I think he could be the first wide receiver taken. Do I think, I think there's been a little bit of a shift in terms over the last couple of years that I think NFL teams are putting more priority on precise route runners uh, than the guy who can win at the catch point. And that's not Drake London's game only either. Drake London for a guy his size at 6'5", whatever he is, is is a good route runner for his size. He's not on a you know, Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, and he's not, he's going to win down the field, but more in using his size and physicality than those guys using their speed. So just what we've seen from the NFL, I think they're still going to value Wilson and Olave more than him, but I think it's going to be close. I think, I think all three have a shot to be top 20 picks. I think, you know, if you think about certain teams, right, and I'm just using this for an example because we brought them up before, right? A team like the Saints, they have Michael Thomas. I, for them, they would a Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave would make more sense. Then let's just say, hypothetically, the Raiders weren't sold on Brian Edwards, right? And they're picking somewhere in that 16 to 20 range. Well, to me, maybe Drake London makes more sense to pair with Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and then maybe maybe you know Drake London makes more sense on that team. And I think you can kind of go through a lot of teams and kind of say, well, based on what they have on their roster, this guy makes a little bit more sense. He complements their territory. And I'm never going to say that should be the be and end all because rosters change really quickly. But these guys are all going to have pretty good grades. These guys are going to have really high grades. So maybe it's a tiebreaker, right, based on what's on the roster already, uh, you know, in terms of that. You know, I, I think of a team like the Patriots, and I think of, you know, for them, maybe Drake London makes more sense just based on, you know, what they want to do with Mac Jones. And not, not that Mac Jones can't throw the deep ball. We saw him do it plenty with the guys at Alabama, but that's still not his calling card. I don't think it ever is going to be his calling card, this great vertical passer. But maybe London would make more sense there. So I think there's I think there's a lot of teams that London would make more sense maybe for these teams. I still think when when push comes to shove, it's gonna be the Ohio State guys. And I think the Alabama guys are gonna have something to say about things as well. But I mean, like you said though, there's not much more Drake London can do to catapult his stock, right? There, there, there just isn't. So I think it's gonna be interesting with the wide receivers. I think that's really gonna carry the the offensive side of this of this draft upcoming. I think it's going to really carry eventually rookie drafts next year because it really is the strength of this class from the offensive side of it. So we'll be following closely. So let's take this to a real quick uh, Debbie slant report. Uh, 
I don't think there's much debate right now in terms of the top Devi quarterbacks that aren't draft eligible this year. I think it's got to be, it's not even, to me, it's not even close anymore. It's got to be Bryce Young and it's got to be Caleb Williams. And Caleb Williams took over Spencer Rattler, continues to show that dual capability. And then Bryce Young, it's possible he's going to go down of the recent generations, the Saban era. It's very possible he's far and away the most talented quarterback that Alabama's ever had during the Saban era. Pure physical talent in terms of what he can do, in terms of arm talent, athleticism, everything about it. Tua was great there, but Bryce Young is on the trajectory to to be the, to be the best quarterback Saban's ever had there. So I think in your Debbie, we're talking underclassmen guys, those two got to be your top two quarterbacks right now, hands down. Don't think there's much debate about it. And then Tight end, we, we've constantly revisited this, but Michael Mayer continues to be the clear-cut number one Debbie tight end. Arik Gilbert, still MIA, still not a lot of news about Arik Gilbert. Uh, Mayer is one of those guys that, again, do I, I don't think he's ever Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. I don't think he'll ever be looked at the same way as Kyle Pitts was last year, but I think he's very much a clear-cut round one talent, very much, I think he'll have a higher pedigree than Noah Fant. I think he'll be looked at the same way Hawkinson was and maybe even better when he came out. And I think he'll be, he's upside is in that Hawkinson, Mark Andrews, Noah Fant range, uh, which is right there closing in on the tippy top. I think that's where we're going uh, with his skill set. So those are a couple things. Jeff, I know you had one question you wanted to bring up here during Debbie Slant. Well, I mean, we kind of buried the lead on the big news with, I mean, we've talked about it every week. So, you know, I can see why we might not have touched it on the top, but um, DJ Uyunglele was benched this past Saturday after throwing a second pick. And, um, you know, he, he got back into the game and, and, you know, I think there's some speculation that, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe they move on, maybe they sit him. I don't think so just based on, you know, who's behind him. So that had my question in my brain. Um, if, if the guy behind DJ was Caleb Williams, would he still be playing? I think the answer is I think the answer is no. Because here's the thing, and, and when when people choose the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, right? There's always not just one, not just two. There's always like two to three really great prospects, really great recruits at your position. So the leash where we think it might be really long, like. Could you imagine in August if we thought there was a scenario where Spencer Rattler wasn't going to be the starting quarterback all year for Oklahoma without an injury? And we didn't even think that was a, we didn't even think that was a possibility because we thought he was going to have this monster year. But what you quickly realize is that these elite programs in college football, they have a next man up mentality, and their next man up are really freaking talented recruits. So it doesn't surprise me that Rattler lost his job to a guy like Cable Williams. And it's possible that in Clemson, they didn't have somebody who could really push 
DJ. And that's the reason why he might still get more of a leash, even though I think there's a lot more problems going on with Clemson than just the quarterback. He's taking the brunt of it, especially in you know the public perception. But they can't block anybody. They can't stop anybody. Their run game's terrible. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that if he does go into next year as the starting quarterback, my guess is his leash next year is very, very short. Very, very short. And who knows? Maybe he goes the the path of if if it really spirals this year. Maybe he goes the path of Spencer Rattler and ends up transferring too to get a, a clean start somewhere else. You know, we really don't know what's going on inside there. So these quarterback scenarios are fascinating uh, to say the least. So all right, let's take it to the NFL rookie report. Couple names here that I want to bring up, get your takes on, and then anyone else you want to bring up. You mentioned them last week. I think the story right now of the rookies right now in this moment is just how good Khalil Herbert has looked. And he rushed for a hundred yards on the Bucks. Nobody does that. Hundred yards wasn't like fluky or anything like that. It was a hundred yards on like 18 carries. Really impressive performance by Herbert. I know you you vouched for David Montgomery last year. I'm a little bit uh, last week. I'm a little bit still lukewarm on his overall talent. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a very good or great player. I always thought that last year's breakthrough by David Montgomery was more a product of they just ran out of bodies. I don't think you can put the genie back in the, in this case. I think even when Montgomery comes back and it sounds like he's still weeks away, I think it's going to be an even timeshare. I really do. And I think that might be how it, they go into it next year. And I could see that Montgomery not getting a second contract. Like I think that's where this could be headed. Or if it does, it's going to be a very different type of second contract, not that clear-cut starter money. But because free agent running backs just don't really get big contracts, I just think Herbert is a really good player. And I like this game. I thought he could be a fourth-round pick. He fell a little bit later. I know Matt Waldman came on the show and really was was hyping him up, and he really liked Philip Herbert. So I really think that Herbert has more juice. I think that he's shown even better vision than I thought he could. So I think he's right now one of the breakthrough stories. When I redo rookie rankings, I got to move him way up now. The running back board, I got to move him ahead of Trey Sermon. I, I do, based on what I've seen in the NFL and just the unknown factor of what the 49ers are doing. To me, after you know Najee Harris and Javante Williams, and I'll probably still keep Travis Etienne in third because he hasn't played this year. And the hope, you know, it's possible that Khalil Herbert's got to leapfrog a bunch of guys in that mix there because I think there's a path for him based on what he's shown to be a, to be an impact in fantasy. So I think he's one of the stories. I think Mac Jones continues to look the best in terms of the quarterbacks. I think what they're asking of him fits his skill set. But I mean, I know it's the Jets this week, but. 307 yards, two touchdowns, really solid performance. We're not seeing solid performances by Justin Fields, you know, or Zach Wilson yet when they had an opportunity. And even Trevor Lawrence hasn't had too many solid performances. So it's definitely noteworthy. He's been better than I thought. I think he's already on the trajectory where I thought his ceiling was somewhere in the good Andy Dalton to Kirk Cousins. I think he's definitely on the trajectory to be as good as like a guy like Kirk Cousins. And maybe that's still underselling him. And if it is, He's going to blow, he might blow right past that. And then the wide receivers, 
the two with Jalen Waddle connection is definitely starting to really, you're seeing it, right? They're making them more integral part of the offense every single week. Some of it's that necessity, no Will Fuller, no Devontae Parker. Uh, but you're really seeing Waddle take off. And then I know a guy you love, and myself included, Rashad Bateman, three catches, 80 yards. I think the window is still there. You can get him. There's an explosion to touchdown week coming soon. You want to be in before that happens because after that happens, it's going to be real hard to get your your hands on him. So, Jeff, take it away. Herbert, Jones, Waddle, Bateman, any other rookies you want to bring up? I think we'll have more chances to talk about quarterbacks every week. Uh, so I'm going to take a little victory lap and and just celebrate Khalil Herbert, who I did tout him last week, and I started him out of necessity last week because everybody was on by, and he was one of my top scorers. And I was invested in that game and I watched that game and his production did not come in some garbage time, soft prevent defense. A lot of that production came in the first, you know, first quarter. I mean, it was 21 to zero after the first quarter, but he, he did a lot of his damage at the front half of that game. And even right out of the gates, right off the bat, and you're right. I mean, he looked like he had extra juice. Um, he had impressive vision. I don't think he's going away. I said last week, I think he's already pushed uh, Damian Williams for the job. Report came out a, a few days later saying that's kind of, that's actually what happened. And even it may have been the fact that he didn't have any practice, but Damian Williams was activated from the COVID list for the game and and just was not a factor in that game. It was all Khalil Herbert. And for good reason, because he was, he, he might've been the best running back on, on the field that game. Um, and that's saying something because Leonard Fournette's doing really well. So I do see Herbert factoring in uh, to the Chicago bears offense. I'm not sure I see a 50, 50 split. And even if we get there, I don't, especially with the way Chicago's offense is going right now and just the, the kind of mess of a team that is, I don't know if he's going to factor in for fantasy, you know, at, at least when David Montgomery comes back. And that might be next year when David Montgomery's still there too. You know, for as, for as much as Herbert brings that Montgomery doesn't, the extra juice, the little bit of burst, the you know, ability to just kind of, it's not even wiggle. It's, it's just the way that he bends his, his trajectory. He's, he's not juking guys. He's slithering through. Um, I think as, as Matt Wallman would say, is that curvilinear movement, right? Um, but David Montgomery has the tough yards, the tackle breaking ability, the ability to, you know, to, to get that first down, to make a guy miss, to barrel through and carry a guy a few yards down the field and just get those extra yards in every run. I just, you know, there's some value there too, you know, forcing missed tackles, breaking through tackles. You know, it's a skill that I don't think Khalil Herbert has at the same level as David Montgomery. Khalil Herbert is, it's kind of, again, like a, a Trey Sermon, Elijah Mitchell kind of thing. Um, which, you know, I think I called wrong. I saw that San Francisco backfield being, you know, a thunder and lightning type situation, even with Raheem Mostert there. Um, 
So I could be wrong here too, because because Herbert looks like he's got the juice. Um, but I, I think it, it would be a pretty bold move by the coaching staff to to bench David Montgomery with the way that he's been playing. Um, but I'd say Khalil Herbert has just earned every snap that he gets. It, he's he's belong in the NFL, and I do think from a long term perspective, I don't know how a team could commit big dollars to David Montgomery when you have a weapon like Herbert in the back and it would be easy to find a compliment to him. Lastly, for Rashad Bateman, this is the type of production. These, these kind of six targets, three catches, 60 yards, 80 yards here and there. That's the kind of production that I expect from a breakout rookie wide receiver, not this Jamar chase, 800 yards in eight games and 10 touchdowns kind of thing. So that's kind of spoiled us all. But I would, I would say what Rashad Bateman's doing, especially after coming in from an injury and this being his second game back, this is the type of production that I see. And I go, this, this wide receiver is making a mark. He's starting to break out. He's becoming a factor in his offense. I do think we'll see this build as the season goes on. I do think he'll stay cheaper to acquire than the rest of those top wide receivers, mostly because they've been playing the whole season. Their stats will be higher and you'll be able to get, you know, Rashad Bateman at a little bit of a discount because, you know, he he's missed six weeks where everybody else was accruing stats and he wasn't. And so at the end of the year, you're going to look at that and you're going to see, ah, he only had 800 yards, 700 yards. And, you know, Devonte Smith had a thousand. So let's, you know, let's rate Smith higher and Bateman might be a very big factor and, and potentially pushing for a lead target in Baltimore. And at the very least, there's three guys that Lamar throws to. He doesn't, you don't have running backs taking away targets. It's Andrews, it's Hollywood and it's Bateman now, and it's those three guys. And as long as there's only three guys in the focus, they'll all they'll all give value each week. Yeah, I mean, I think you make great points there that, yeah, what Jamar Chase is doing sets the standard really high, but Bateman coming off of the injury really acclimated himself really well and quickly to that Baltimore offense. And I think with Marquise Brown's breakout, there might be an opportunity where someone says Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, maybe maybe it's just Lamar Jackson is not even being valued properly because now he might have three legitimate big time weapons. But now it's the time to go get Bateman. I, I listen. I agree with you on Herbert in terms of it probably will be still slightly lean towards David Montgomery, but I think you also made up a great point where. If he's looking for a big payday, I just don't think it's coming uh, with the Bears, right? Because Herbert's already shown that he can do. The Bears have a lot of holes. They got to fill. And you can keep replenishing these running backs. And Herbert has shown that he can be a diamond in the rough. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of excited to kind of see how he does down the stretch here and how they integrate Montgomery back into the mix there, see if they'll finally open it up and let Justin Fields run a little bit. Well, it would be fun. So it's going to be following that closely uh, throughout the year to kind of see the Herbert dynamic there. If we take this to the last segment of the night, which is the Dynasty Fantasy Report, 
You may have wondered why we didn't bring up Jamar Chase in the NFL rookie report. That was because I was saving him for here. Before I run off a couple different things, Jeff, and kind of open the floor, let's just start here now because I think, and I don't remember it ever being this quickly, the wide receiver position in the NFL is loaded and it is loaded with really great young, talented players, right? When we did our dynasty rankings in the summer, it was Justin Jefferson, it was AJ Brown, you know, they were in the they were near they were at the top. We had guys like C.D. Lamb in the top 10, Terry McLaurin, the the old guards like, you know, Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams. And like, I'm probably forgetting some off the top of my head as well. And I remember I had Chase high and I thought it might have been too high. But I think now the question becomes is how high should Jamar Chase be? Because I'm looking at my rankings right now. And I got to drop down Kevin Ridley. So I had A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill, and Stephon Diggs. But I think truth be told, if I had any of them in fantasy right now, I would trade them straight up for Jamar Chase. So I think I'm saying Jamar Chase should be Dynasty wide receiver one right now. And I maybe that's overreaction. Maybe it's too quick to do that. But based on what his pedigree was coming out, the fact that I already had him inside of the top 10 before the year started because I was that high on him. And now what he is doing and just literally destroying the league in his rookie year, he's going to play with his, his boy, his quarterback, for the, the most the duration of his NFL career probably if everyone stays healthy. Should he be Dynasty 1? Like, where are you now, at least ballpark? And you at least think, is it a legitimate question for people who play Dynasty? So three weeks ago, he bumped above Calvin Ridley for me. Uh, he, he he went up to seven um, three weeks ago for me. And that's, you know, right next to Devontae Adams, right next to CeeDee Lamb and Terry McLaurin between those two guys. And I think at this point, you you really can't distinguish him from Jefferson, AJ Brown. Those you pick any one of them. I, I think you know the number one doesn't really matter here. Give me all of them, as many as I can get. AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and I, I mean I'll even throw CD Lamb and. DK Metcalf and Terry McLaurin kind of right there too. And you still can't, you know, Tyreek Hill's not old. Like he's still there in the dynamic player. So you can pretty much take any of those guys as like your first wide receiver, maybe second, even if you can get two of them, you're in great shape. So he's in that conversation. And if you wanted to rank him there, like to me, there's, there's really not any discernible difference between him and Jefferson and AJ Brown. Whichever one you want, whichever one you can get. If you can take Justin Jefferson and get Jamar Chase and something on top, do that. You know, they're they're all in that same tier. They're all I don't want to say they're all equivalent, because you know, they're all very unique and wonderful players in their own different ways. But um but from like a value and a dynasty and a uh fantasy football perspective, they're all superstars. So Get a superstar. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what you just said there is what we've seen this year. I I think Jamar Chase just has a little bit more versatility to his game, especially more than uh, than AJ Brown. 
that I, I think that's why I would favor him ahead of those guys. And I think, you know, I think Joe Burrow is going to be a legit big time quarterback. So I think that might be my tiebreaker between him and Justin Jefferson. And just when they played on the same team together, Jamar Chase was better, but not, I don't want to, I don't want to hold that too much uh, because he's, he's been unbelievable in the NFL, but you're splitting hairs between these guys. So it's a, it's a fascinating conversation. What about Cooper cup? Cause I don't know if you were on air, maybe you were, or maybe Matt was, I mean, what he's doing, he's literally destroying the NFL on the same level as Jamar Chase with Matthew Stafford. Like he's at 10 for me right now. I don't know if that's too low. Like, and I know he's an older prospect, but I don't know what the, I don't know how high to put a guy like Cooper cup. Do we leave guys, you know, should Calvin really be ahead of Cooper cup? We have a lot of uncertainty with the Atlanta offense moving forward after Matt Ryan. Should Cooper Cup be below Devontae Adams, considering we don't know who's Devontae Adams' quarterback is going to be next year? It's not going to be Aaron Rodgers. Like, you know, like I we have older guys up there in the top 10, like Tyree Kill, like Stefan Diggs, like Devontae Adams. So it's not like Cooper Cup's older than them. Should he be right there with those guys? based on the chemistry and connection he has showed with Matt Stafford, based on the Sean McAvey offense, and based on this breakout season? How high is too high for Cooper Cup in your mind? I mean, I was sort of looking at a few names there, and for me, I wouldn't put him up there with Devontae Adams because even if we do have a question on his quarterback, I mean, he can choose where he gets to go next year too right now. Um. The, the just the talent of Devonte Adams is undeniably phenomenal. Like he's, I mean, regardless of how good Jamar Chase is right now, I I still think you'd be hard pressed to knock Adams off your Mount Rushmore of best wide receivers in the NFL at this point in time. I mean, another guy in that conversation though is DeAndre Hopkins, and who's a little bit older. He's got a little bit more competition. He's not the funnel of the offense that he previously was I would probably be hard to argue not taking Cooper cup over Deandre Hopkins. And that's saying something, you know, um, you know, it's, it's hard cause it, there's, it's hard to put them in the top 10 for me because we just rattled off. I rattled off like five, seven, eight names that I would have called, you know, the dynasty wide receiver one between Jefferson and AJ Brown and Metcalf and CeeDee Lamb and Jamar Chase, DJ Moore, right? So it's really hard for him to break into that group. But if he wants to lead the next group, the jump him over, jump Mike Evans, you know, jump DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I think I do have him. I do have him in that. I don't have him ahead of Devontae Adams, but I have him right there with that other mix of guys. I have him right below Calvin Ridley, but I have him ahead of Chris Godwin, Terry McLaurin, DeAndre Hopkins, with that DJ Moore, Mike Evans, that area right there, because I, I just think that's where he belongs right now. Uh, another name, and this is close to your heart, is 
where where should Debo Samuel kind of be ranked? Because I I just updated my rankings just now as we were talking, and I have him at 19, and I can even make the case that he could even be a little bit higher right now with where we've seen him go and the decline of Brendan Ayuk. The, the right is on the wall for Debo to be a legitimate big time dynasty asset. He's probably you know made as as a couple of big jumps here for me in my rankings, but I, I think they're well warranted. You know, is he a guy that should now be in that mix where Amari Cooper, Jerry Judy, you know, like after Michael Thomas, maybe the Sandy, the charger guys, like, is that where Debo should be kind of value now in your mind? Definitely. You know, like along the Mike Williams kind of path, we talked about him and and his contract situation and his ability to break out. Um, T. Higgins, I think, is another name up there. Keenan Allen, Mari Cooper is a good name, an interesting name. Man, Amari Cooper just doesn't get any love because of how good he is, and just he's streaky though. That's that's the he's such a talented wide receiver. He's just a little streaky. Debo Samuel is as much a focal point of the offense as Devontae Adams is for Green Bay. Like, if you look at their target shares and air yard kind of metrics and all of that, Debo Samuel is is the receiving weapon and own like number one. And there's nobody even at number two. He's just so far ahead of everybody else on the the Forty Niners. And maybe it's not that Brandon Ayuk has a problem or anything. I mean, there's a few things going wrong with the San Francisco offense that I think is preventing Ayuk from breaking out um, the way that we had hoped um, for Brandon Ayuk. I think I, I, I'd i seen one where, you know, Shanahan dialed up a play. He was open with an entire half of the field just green. No, no defender around that if Jimmy just chucks up a fluttering duck in that rainstorm, Ayuk could run under it and score – a 80 yard touchdown and uh, there was just a little bit of edge pressure and Jimmy Garoppolo isn't Trey Lance and he can't get away from it. And he, you know, he threw a duck that went 10 yards instead of 25 and there was a holding penalty and everything got called back. But that was, that was a dialed up play for Brandon. Ayuk, who I think that's the one, that's the big difference there for me is I still think the talents there for Ayuk. I, I, George Kittle, we haven't seen come back yet. You know, he's going to come back healthy, and he has been the focal point of that offense in the past. So I just don't know how much it'll continue. But, you know, I don't think we have a Brandon Ayuk problem. Like like Brandon Ayuk might not have a talent problem. He might have a Debo Samuel problem because with as good as Debo's been, I don't really know why you would go in any other direction. You know, why not give him 12 or 14 targets a game let alone, I don't even see his manufactured touches with his end arounds yet. You know, they, they haven't really gotten that part of the, the offense moving yet. And and that's something that Debo can do as well. So he's, he's got to be in your top 20 at this point in time. He's, he's kind of like that, that Mike Evans level player where I think we're seeing a breakout. I always knew he was talented. Part of his thing was health. Um, I don't know. I said last week, you know, I don't know that injury prone is a thing and I don't, you know, think I can call and predict injuries down the road. 
some players have them until they don't like Keenan Allen and some players just kind of have them throughout their entire career. And it, it kind of holds them from back. I don't know what the case will be for Debo, but at least right now, um, you know, if, if you're playing just for this year, he's a top 12 guy. If you're trying to bake in some of that youth factors, you know, he's definitely a top 20 guy for your dynasty team. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like I said, I have him at 19, and I think you can make the case he's even going to be a little bit higher right that. I also know Marquise Brown is shot all the way up into my top 23, top 24 because of the breakout year he's having. And I, I always believed in the talent, and now he's staying healthy, and he's making plays, and he's being used in a variety of ways. So there's been guys that have went down, right? Robert Woods has went down. Brandon Ayuk has went down. Uh, Julio Jones, as an older guy, can't stay healthy. He's went down. Uh, Kenny Galladay hasn't lived up to much at this year. He's went down. So there's been plenty of guys that have been able to move down. Odell has continued to just disappoint. So he's a guy. So there's a lot of guys who've been able to move up. Guys like Marquise Brown, guys like Debo Samuel, uh, the rookies in terms of Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell. I know limited sample size, but what I've seen with Kadarius Tony you know, the excitement level there. So there's been guys who've been able to move up while other guys have been moving down. And I still think we're going to see more young guys emerge this year, right? I still think by the time the year's over, maybe we see some glimpses of Elijah Moore. Maybe we see some glimpses of Terrace Marshall. Uh, maybe Rondell, maybe an injury opens up more opportunity for Rondell Moore to be the playmaker that we want him to be. We already talked about Rashad Bateman as well. If we turn this to tight end, I know we talked a lot about tight ends last time. So real quick, where should Mike Isecki be value now? Because I think he's a guy that I, I was too low on. I had a lot of concerns that because they had these three wide receivers and he was mostly used as a slot, he thought, I thought maybe he was going to be pushed out. But now when I think about it, am I crazy to think that he should be in that seven, eight, nine range? If, should he be with Dallas Goddard and Noah Fan? Because I think that's where I'm moving him. I think he should be in that trio now after the presumed big six of Waller, Pitts, Kittle, uh, you know, Kelsey, Andrews, and Hawkinson. I think now Gusecki now warrants being with Goddard and Fant, maybe ahead of that group. I, I, I think I'd probably still have him at the back end of that, but I think that's kind of where he belongs. Yeah, I mean, I – this was a proud call for me because I think when we talked before the season, that was one of the ones that we highlighted the difference on. And I had a little bit of faith there just based on the way that his stats grew each year. And it just, again, it just looks like one more year of stats growing. Um, I don't know that we're clear of your concerns yet. I mean, they haven't had a healthy wide receiver core. That might still be the case. I mean, we know Jalen Waddles quite talented now in a focal point of that offense. I mean, I think Gusecki's probably proven himself as the number two option in that offense. You know, I think he's pushed out a guy like Devontae Parker and he's, I don't know what to make of Will Fuller. I just haven't, I, he's a talented guy. And so when he's on the field, I just don't know if he's going to bake in or not. That's a big question mark for me, but I, they don't occupy the same space. So, you know, I, I if anything, it's just going to accentuate space in the middle of the field for Gusecki to continue to work. Who's been just, an amazing go-to target for Tua and and Brissett when Brissett was in there. They both hyper-targeted him. So, yes, I do think he has to be 
in that conversation, now I, I said it like last week, I still have, and it's a projection faith in Dallas Goddard to be part of that upper tier, that, that Andrews and Hawkinson tier as a focal point of, of his team and his passing game. So I think of Godert a little bit like I think of Hawkinson and, and that's a little bit of a leap of faith. So for me, Goddard's up above him, but I don't see any reason why Gesicki couldn't be ranked ahead of Fant in my mind. Even I that that might be the, the move that I make next. It's hard to break into that. Similar like how I was saying it was hard for uh, hard to break into for cup to break into a top 10 wide receivers because of all the talent and youth there. It's the same thing with the the tight ends. There's so much talent at the top end in the, the top five or six, it's just hard to break into that unless you are an elite talent. Um, and I don't think I, I don't think I'd call Gesicki elite, um, but the way that he's playing, the way that he's factoring in, the production that he's getting, it's kind of like um, that year that Austin Hooper had when he just flashed and was just Matt Ryan's go-to and he was targeted all the time and he was reliable catching and came down with it and, and kept kept all that production. That's the kind of season that I'm seeing with Gasicki. And, you know, again, if he keeps building on that, if he keeps becoming more than that, then yeah, maybe then we can talk about is he closer to Andrews? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think he if he continues to do what he's doing, we're gonna that's gonna be a legitimate conversation for sure. Um, two final thoughts for me, and then one question for you. One, I mentioned this before, and I'll say it again. I think we're doing it wrong right now if we have any of the rookie quarterbacks ahead of Joe Burrow, because Joe Burrow is in his second year only. So he's still got the youth on the side. He has shown that he came back from his injury healthy. He had quite the pedigree as the number one pick himself coming off of that unbelievable year in national championship. He's got great playmakers. He's got his go-to guy for the, the basically his whole career. Trevor Lawrence might be better at some point down the line, maybe Justin Fields, maybe Trey Lance. But before the year started, all of those guys were ranked ahead of Joe Burrow in dynasty rankings. I think right now Joe Burrow deserves, for me right now, I have him at nine. But I have him ahead of all those rookies, and I think it's the right place for him right now. I don't know if he can go much higher than nine right now. It's hard to break into that Mahomes, Allen, Murray, Lamar, Dak, Herbert, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson range. But I have him ahead of Stafford, ahead of him, ahead of all the rookies from this year. That's that's thought one. Thought two, I said it a couple weeks ago. I'll say it again. If you can get out on Jalen Hurts, get out. I think the writing's on the wall. The fantasy stats and the film are not matching up eye to eye here. So I don't even know if he's going to make it the year as a starting quarterback. Maybe they want to see what Gardner Minshew is. I don't think he's the answer. Anyone who's listened to me long enough knows I thought that was one of the silliest storylines of his rookie year. If he wasn't a fifth-round pick and he didn't have a mustache, I don't think people would have reacted the way they did with Gardner Minshew. People wanted to make him out to be a thing. He's a a good backup quarterback, spot starter. So I don't think the Eagles. But 
we've talked about the ammunition the Eagles have. They're going to have three first-round picks. They're going to possibly have three in the top ten. I don't think Jalen Hurts is going to be the long-term guy there. I like Jalen Hurts. It's amazing what he did coming from Alabama and Oklahoma to materialize into a second-round pick. I'm just not sure the Eagles are going to be think he's the guy. And I, I think there's some questions already out there. And you're sitting on the guy who right now some look at as a, as a top 10 quarterback in Dynasty or top 12 quarterback in Dynasty. If you can sell in, in every league, it's tough because quarterbacks sometimes aren't valued that much. But if you can get out now, I think, you're, I think you'd be selling at a good time before things could spiral out the other way. And then my one question is, should there be any concern from us about the KC trio of superstars based on what we've seen over the last couple of weeks? So for Burrow, I completely agree. He's actually number seven in my rankings. He's behind that tier of Herbert, Dak, Lamar. He's above Deshaun Watson because they're, Deshaun Watson isn't playing and there's some major questions. He's an elite talent and he might not be on the field, you know, for who knows how long. So yeah, Joe Burrow's playing and playing well and he's above him. I think you could make an argument for Trevor Lawrence based on the fact that what we believe him to be as a prospect. I think you can make a make a case based on that. And I think it's too early to change your mind already on what you think Trevor Lawrence is as a prospect. So, but, but for me, Joe Burrow's ahead because he's got Jamar Chase. He's got T Higgins. He's got an offense behind him. Joe Mixon. Like, I like it. I'm, I'm happy there. I'm, it's not that Cincinnati is a stellar organization, but they're better than Jacksonville. So I'm with you on Joe Burrow, 100%. I'm with you on Jalen Hurts. You know, I did, I do think there's, it's interesting to me that there's love for Jalen Hurts and there's hate for Tua out there when, you know, I think Tua is showing a lot more on the field to be patient with. And, you know, Jalen Hurts is, really struggling to put anything together back there. He, I do understand if you want to be patient with him because he wasn't an advanced thrower as a prospect, but I don't know what's there to make you think that he will become that. So for me, I'm selling I don't really know that any of the prospects are going to be better than him, but I just don't think uh, Philadelphia has really indicated that they're committed to him. And I, I think if they pull the plug, I don't know that anybody else is going to pick up the shot. So now's the time, possibly even before the trade deadline. And then for Kansas City, I'm not worried. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not either, but I thought it was just an interesting conversation just because we haven't seen – you know, them look like the Chiefs so far this year. I think you brought up really good points there, uh, you know, uh, in regards to Jalen Hurts. 
And Tua, I think Tua is a guy who I moved up a little bit into the the 18 range, and he's even got a little bit more ability to to kind of leapfrog a couple of older guys like Tannehill and Brady, but Brady just keeps dominating. So Brady's a really tough one to kind of assess on this. Like I know his age, but he's not really showing any signs of slowing down. To me, he looks better at times than he did 10 years ago, and it's really how long does he want to keep playing. So that that's a tough one. Uh, guys like Brady in terms of where they should be ranked, but great yeah, stuff just, here. Yeah. Just one last bit on like Kansas city. I was, I was kind of short there, um, but everyone's going to go, every team's going to go through a little bit of a stretch. Every team's going to have a just dud game. I mean, you saw Aaron Rodgers week one, right. And then, then he came back and he's been great. Um, I think Kansas city's problem is not as much, with those offensive weapons, I think Mahomes is probably pressing a little bit. He's trying to do a little much. I think they're gonna they're gonna be able to straighten that out because there's nothing wrong with the talent, right? The talent, even even the offensive line and everything, like the talent's there. They can get that straightened out. The defense is questionable. So as a team, I do think there's concerns for Super Bowl aspirations, but when you talk specifically about Mahomes, he's still the best quarterback in the game. When you talk about Travis Kelsey, he's still probably the best tight end in the game. And if you talk about Tyreek Hill, he's on that Mount Rushmore as well. He's, he's one of those top four wide receivers in the game. So you, you stick with the talent there for sure. So there it is guys. And it dynasty Fantasy report, a detailed one there, but a lot of stuff for Jeff and I to catch up on. A lot of things that I think people will find interesting in terms of discussing this uh, after we did the NFL rookie report, the Debbie Slant report, and obviously the NFL draft report for this week. If you're enjoying the content that we are putting out here, please get over to the website. SS Football is the easiest and quickest way to get there. Uh, check out the premium content tab, and for $9.99, you get access to all of our premium notebooks. For $9.99, you get access to three notebooks. You get two immediately, the scouting notebook, all our scouting reports, detailed write-ups, and then you get the rankings notebook, which has all our different types of rankings. We got dynasty by position. We got dynasty rookie rankings. We got NFL draft eligible rankings. We got... Devi rankings all there. And then obviously the draft projections notebook in April of 2022. It is the best way to support the show and help us continue to do what we do here for you. So on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.